0: Thank you. And, uh, I'm John Kay, recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, some of you guys know me. The rest of you are like, oh, him again. Um, let me just start by saying I, am, I was a stand-up comic for 15 years. I have a disease called Comedian's Tourette's. I may at some point say something to offend you. I don't need to, but uh, that happens to me sometimes. I just love this meeting. This meeting is just really phenomenal and, and welcome. To the, you guys are on the podcast. You don't know there's about 50 people in here. Hot as hell right now, <laughs> um, but we have people from Barcelona. Welcome, I was there last year. Not an easy city to stay abstinent, in, I can tell you that. Killer football team though. And David, we're refugees from another food program, and, and congratulations to all you guys. And uh, I have no idea what the heck I'm gonna talk about. Um, I'm gonna send around some pictures today to show you us approximately what I was like. Um, I don't have anything from my top weight, because my top weight was right at the end of my drinking career. And I was a very much an isolator. Plus, if you came at me with a camera, you were taking your life in your hands. Uh, uh, but I have some here. I, and, I, and there's also a picture of Roseanne here. I, I say I'm the only person I know who uh, sends around some pictures of people other than himself in addition to his own pictures. And one is a picture of Roseanne, but the others are um, pictures of sponsees I had that are dead. That are dead as a direct result of this disease. One was a guy named Dan Carlson, who I know... David remembered and another was a guy named Jim Brady who uh, was 600 pounds and uh, Dan died I think of a heart attack and as in a relapse and Jim was 600 pounds and he died in a fire because he was too big to get out and um, you're going to hear me today I'm, I'd like to keep it light and, and I don't take myself very seriously, but I take this disease very seriously because anybody here and there's a number of them here, Roy, who started this this meeting September 1st, 2001, right? I think it was <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Roseanne was his first speaker. Now he's going to think about it the whole meeting. will <laughs> will hear a word I say, um, um, uh, but a lot of you guys have been around a long time. You can you can name people who are not here anymore as a direct result of this disease. And so for me, this isn't a stop. Between Jenny Craig and Weight Watchers, you know I'm in the I'm in the program with a body count, you know, and so I'll send around some of these pictures. You can look at them. Um, I'll just qualify real quick um, and tell you how goddamn old I am now. <laughs> I, I joked that when I came to OA, I, I didn't have gray hair and I didn't need glasses, so see what program will do to you. Um, but on the other hand, I'm alive, and I almost would guarantee I wouldn't be alive right now if it weren't for the twelve steps. And um, I've been coming to uh, both OA and AA for thirty six. Years I was sober 36 years in that program. I have 23 years of abstinence, and for those of you who can do basic math, you know that there was a relapse in there, and that was a, a big part of my story. Um, I don't know. What, I, I don't feel like doing a real long food log today because I figure you guys all know how to eat. <laughs> I don't need to help you with that. Um, I'll just give you a couple of quick things about it. I, I was the child of two alcoholics and uh, two Irish alcoholics. What are the odds, Mickey? Um, <laughs> um, and and the thing about that is if you're a child of addiction in a household of addiction and craziness going on, you get some really bad messages. You, you get messages like crazy stuff will happen and then the next day everything's fine. Everything's fine, you know. Pay no attention to that car going through the front window. Everything's fine, you know. Um... Uh, also, uh, we don't talk about what's in here at all. We'll talk to you all. We'll talk sports. We'll talk politics. But how we feel in here, it doesn't exist, you know. And the other thing is that um, the worst thing, I think, is, is if you're a little kid, you know, it's not like parents sitting down and say, you should do drink, drugs and drink. It's great. <laughs> but they will, you will see certain behaviors in your parents. Like, they will get upset and go, I need a... I need a uh, fill-in-the-blank. I need a drink. I need a drug. I need a cigarette. I need something. And what you do as a little logic little kid is you go, oh, well, if I don't like how I'm feeling in here, there's something out there I can put in here that'll make it better. And uh, the idea that it was an inside job never it, uh, crossed my mind. And so at a very early age, that was food for me. And, and I grew up as a fat kid, which was a miserable existence, getting beat up for being fat, called every name in the book and, and all that and uh, i 'm going to fast forward to a lot of that. Um, went on every diet by the way, when I was even though I was heavy all the way through high school, you know was on every damn diet, went to weight watchers and all these other crazy things and uh, you know when I first came in, I said I, I was on every diet, and none of them worked, and the reality is no, I was on every diet, and they all worked. they all worked once. but you know what? I got an addict's brain, and then after I do it once because my first time through i 'm going to take my brain out and did, yeah, I'll follow it you tell me because i 'm a good little student and then I'm looking for the loopholes, and then it doesn't work anymore, and so I went all the way through high school as the fat kid, um, I didn't drink, in, I, I went to a party high school in Greenwich, Connecticut, and I was damned if I was going to be like my parents, who were alcoholics, and uh, so I didn't drink, but then I was I was a you know, 19-year-old fat kid, uh, terribly shy, terribly full of hormones, <laughs> wanting to meet the opposite sex, but not, you know, there's that TV show where the guy has to drink to talk to women, and that was, that was literally me, and so I, I found alcohol, I fell in love with it, and it's really not AA here, but i got to tell you that that was the first time in my life I was ever able to lose any weight, because I essentially changed my sugar to the liquid form, and I went then on crazy dieting and crazy exercising, and the way I lost weight was I didn't eat for a week at a time, and then I binged on one night and then I would not eat for another week. Well, you know, if you're if you're a nineteen year old kid and you do that, you will lose weight. It's not healthy, but you will. And the other thing is, is I look back now and realize, you know, even then I knew I knew that there was no dimmer switch on this. It was off and on. That's all that I had to do, you know. In electronics they call that a duty cycle. You know, if I can keep it off as long as possible, I'll lose weight. And that's all I could do. And 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 so Um, I did that, I got down to a normal weight for like 10 seconds, I had my first relationship, my first girlfriend, and then the alcohol took off, and I went 0 to 60 for the next 7 years doing that, and eating, so I gained all my weight back, and then a lot more, and uh, I had a sponsee who said, talked about how when you go out, you, you lose the weight and then you gain it. And then some, he says, he said, um, I don't know as much go on a diet as I send my weight out for reinforcements, <laughs> which I always love. It's a great line. Um, but I would. I would. I, I had I gained it all back. And so I, I always joke I was fat then I was a drunk and then I was a fat drunk. And and so I ended up coming into AA. And in in like 1980, okay, this is before most of the people in this room were born. Um, and uh, trust me, you didn't miss anything with the music of the 70s. Um, uh, the the um, the thing that happened was uh, I knew I needed to be in AA, but I didn't want to have anything to do with this God program, you know, because you guys are a bunch of religious nuts. I don't want anything to do with you, because I was a rabid atheist and. Um, so I'm putting away chairs, what, the, what was to be my first real meeting. I mean, I went to him, I got taken to him because I'd been in a, in a rehab. Um, and I'm arguing with the guy, was I'm putting away chairs, who became my first sponsor about this being a religious program. And he says, no, it's a spiritual program. And so I point, we had those steps and traditions, and it's on, on a window shade kind of thing. And I'm pointing to all this, this is God there, it says God there, it has him with a capital H. And he looked at it and he went, okay, leave it out. And I'm like, what? He says, look, right now your disease is looking for any reason to head out the door. What could be better than to to think we're going to do something to you? You can stay in this program until you're 110 years old. If you don't drink and you just keep coming back, nobody's going to ever make you believe anything you don't want to believe. Nobody's going to tell you you have to believe anything at all. Just keep coming back. And one little thing, try and keep an open mind. That's all. Just try and keep an open mind. And because he said that that way, it made all the difference to me, you know, because it did allow me to, to to stop obsessing on the one thing that was keeping me because I needed the program. I just, you know, I couldn't get it. And um, so um, I got sober. Uh, well, I wouldn't call it sober. It was my first year. And um, I immediately went back to crazy dieting because I wanted to lose all the weight I gained. And then I had a relapse, I think partly because I was trying to do too much at once. And when I came back to, to AA, I, I said, uh, by then I'd heard of O.A., and, and I said, oh, you know, I've got to do something. These two things are just, uh, you know. And, of course, in AA, they're like, no, no, you know, here, you know, don't worry about that hair. have a chocolate bar or whatever. And I go, no, these two are like this. And he said, my sponsor said, okay, look, I, don't, I told you I want you to make these meetings. You make those. I don't care what the hell you're doing the rest of your time, you know. And so I said, that's a deal. And I came to OA, and I fell in love because all of a sudden everything made sense. I got this great brain that can solve almost every problem in my life except a couple of them, one with alcohol and one with food. And it all of a sudden made sense why I couldn't do that. And, and so anyway, I fell in love with OA. Um, uh, I, I, I immediately began losing weight like crazy because I was a 26-year-old male, I think, and I had the metabolism of a hummingbird, as I used to say, which I'd kill for now, by the way. Um, and um, I always say that I've had every, every iteration of this disease just about. I'm a compulsive eater. I have been bulimic. I have been exercise bulimic. In this one short time when I first came to OA, I was anorexic. And what that was about was, having been a fat kid almost my whole life, except for that one little moment, the, the concept of the goal weight comes with like the sound of angels singing. You know, <laughs> the goal weight, oh my God, if I get the goal weight, oh, the whole world will change. And so I had this number. I, if I get to that, that's my goal. Wait, well, I got to that number and nothing changed. I didn't like myself anymore. I wasn't any more self-confident. All those the things that were there were still there. So genius that I am said, well, that must not be the right number. <laughs> so I was another 10 pounds and I don't like myself anymore and I don't feel any better and I'm not any more confident. And it's all, oh, it must be another 10. And about then, you know, I got people coming up going, dude, eat something, please. Yeah. And... The reason I bring that up is, is, is really, I think I had to do that because I need to have, you know, people would say, you know, this, but I couldn't get it until then. I had to experience it myself that there's no number on a scale. That's going to get me liking myself. <clears throat> no number that's going to make me feel better. It's an inside job, and it is absolutely nothing to do with with the number on a scale. And I couldn't get that for a long time. So anyway, I, I fell in love with, with OA. I, would, you know, I was doing well, but then what happened is I slipped. I slipped, and I went out, and I was by then what happened is I was... Um, I was working in a magazine uh, during the day and then I started doing this stand-up comedy at night and then, uh, you know, I was going between Boston and New York and, and I didn't have time to go to meetings. Well, m- my disease was really patient, you know, because one of the things I said is, okay, I get it now. I'm a compulsive eater. i got to follow this food plan. We used to have, I came in right after the gray sheet went away, but we had this dignity choice and, and I was on this number two diet, you know, and I get it now. I'm a compulsive eater. This is what i got to do and guess what? didn't work, you know, just like in the big book, you know, Bill Wilson took years to get that he was an alcoholic, and then once he gets it, okay, now I get it, and yet he finds himself pounding on the bar, asking how did it happen again, and that was exactly my story. So I ended up coming back, it's, it's a really strange synchronicity, uh, I ended up coming, they, they, a great group started in Darien, Connecticut, and it really was strong, and it helped pull me out of that, that, that slip. Uh, or that relapse, I should say. And it's such an ironic thing that I find out years later that the lady who started this program, uh, that program there, Barbara, had moved from Los Angeles from Serenity Sunday and brought Serenity Sunday to that meeting, which is now one of my home meetings, so it's, you know, that weird synchronicity. Um... I managed to hold some time together. I really wasn't working any great program, but um, I kept the weight off. I wasn't eating for most you know, most of that time. Uh, I found somebody, uh, took her hostage. We got married, and I, um, we were both working as comedians, and, and, and after a certain time, we moved out here, And uh, then my program really fell apart, and and I was slipping and sliding a week on, a week off. I call it a relapse cycle, because it wasn't like I just went out. I'd get two weeks on, I would lose it. I'd get three months on, I'd lose it. Two weeks, two days, et cetera, et cetera. And and I just couldn't hold it together. And it was the most cunning, baffling, powerful thing that, you know, is not understanding. Because you realize I got 14 years in program at that point, and I'm slipping and sliding. And I could quote you huge swaths of the big book, and I'm slipping and sliding. And um, I remember I was secretary at uh, Artists and Abstinence over there in the Hollywood area. And I, had a, I was a sponsor. I had a sponsor. I was an intergroup delegate. And I, would, I was secretary at that meeting, and I would leave the meeting and go to the donut shop. And I'm leaving the donut shop going, what the hell am I doing? I'm sentenced away. And yet that's that, you know, that crazy, cunning, baffling, powerful thing I couldn't get. And so what ended up happening is I went over to another program for a while and 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 finally got the food in order and, um, and then really started working, you know, not just quoting pieces of the big book, really studying it and really getting into the steps. I had done a fourth Step in AA and it had really helped relieve a lot of stuff, but I needed to really get into the steps and do them because I really, you know, OA had become, my definition of OA was it was a place to come to talk about myself. It was a place to come to gossip about other people or go out with other people afterwards. But it wasn't anything that working steps and things like that. And, and, and as a result, you know, I didn't have any, any grounded out anything. And even in the first year or two of, of being in that program, I think it was all about just holding on to not eating and, and being happy that I got the weight loss I did. Um, but then I started to work the program, and, and it took me years to understand what that relapse, I think the relapse was all about, and if anybody's having a problem with that, here's my thoughts on it. It's one of those things, I, I'm not any great genius who could see it in the moment, of course, I had to be out of it for a while and look back at it, and one thing is I never really got the idea of powerlessness, I really didn't, you know, I would say I was powerless because, I'm, again, I'm a good little student, you tell me I'm powerless, you put it up on that step, I'm going to say I'm powerless. But here's what happened. I would sit there, and I'd get up and go, I'm powerless, and then I'd go eat. And then I'd come back, and I'd I'd be, I'm powerless, and I'd go binge again. You know, and I'm, no, I'm powerless. I swear I'm powerless, and I'd eat. Well, think about it. How powerless did I really think I was? You know, was I saying, oh, the heck with OA, I'm leaving, I'm never coming back? No, what I was saying was, when I'm done, I will come back, and I will get abstinent in the That's not exactly the definition of powerlessness. And... It took me years to get that. And the reason I, had to, I believed I was powerful over the food, and the reason I believed it is I had the empirical evidence that it was true. Because I knew if I went out and binged, you know, I could come back. It might not be easy. I might have to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. I may have to get a new sponsor. you know, have me do a lot of writing. But eventually I would grind that train to a halt again, and I would stop eating and be, quote, abstinent. And then the moment that train came to a stop, the clock was ticking on when I was going to go out again because it was an option. And that's what I couldn't see until years later, that I was on this multi-year, in and out, in and out, in and out cycle, and I considered the inns as abstinence, and they weren't. I just happened to be on some inns, okay? I wasn't really abstinent. Food was still an option. And what I had to see that changed for me was how I looked at what powerlessness meant. You know, uh, years ago when I came in, one of the things we do, we don't eat no matter what, you know, real rah-rah. And I heard it in a much nicer way. Somebody said, I was at Hill Street one day, and, and somebody said, her sponsor said, if you're a compulsive eater, and you've made food an option, it's always going to be the only option. It's always going to be the path of least resistance. And, and it was absolutely true It's me. That's what changed, is when I started to see You know, the thing about Jim and Dan and Murray, some of you guys remember Murray, and other people that I can name that are dead as a direct result of this disease, is it wasn't like they didn't have it. They had it and they gave it away. And if I could get in the time machine and go back to the day Murray was picking up that first compulsive bite and say, Murray, don't do this. If you do this, you're going to go out. And you're going to be out for a while. And then you'll come back and you'll try and get it back. And you'll slip in a slide. And then you'll go out again. and You'll come back another time. And then you'll disappear. And then we'll hear, did you hear about Murray? And whenever I hear, did you hear about blank? I know what's coming, you know. And the thing is, if I could tell Murray at that moment, you're going to die if you do this. He, that first compulsive bite would be a lot more important than it was to him then. And what I realize now, having done a lot of work on character defects, is I'm just another bozo on the bus, and if that can happen to Murray, it can happen to me. Murray was way smarter than me. Murray, Murray was literally a rocket scientist. There are things on the moon that Murray put on the moon, and, and he was brilliant, and it didn't matter. He's the smartest guy in the graveyard, you know? And that could be me. And... Um, and the other thing I didn't understand was how my disease worked. You know, I was saying the today, my disease is like the world's best salesman. You know, imagine somebody you know who's a good salesman, and they're smooth, and they're suave, and they, they're likable, and they like your product, which is the food in this case, and they know you like the product, which is the food. And, you know, you're trying to stay abstinent, and that salesman is there 24-7 trying to make the sale. And imagine this, it's a salesman that can read your mind. So whatever you're going to say no to, he's got the answer. Imagine if you went to buy a car and you want to get the heck out of there and the guy has got the answer before, it would be really hard. And that's what my disease does. And the really evil thing about my disease is if it makes the sale, if it got me to go out and binge, it would then put its arm around me and say, oh, and by the way, this is your idea. You know, it wasn't my idea. I wouldn't have been going to all those damn meetings. I wouldn't have been secretary. I wouldn't have been a sponsor. I wouldn't have had a sponsor. I wouldn't be a damn intergroup delegate for sure. Uh, (laughs) If I really wanted to eat. But in that moment of impulse, my disease convinces me this is my idea. And that is the insanity, you know. Once I got it, was powerless. And then when I start looking at that word insanity in the second step, or, you know, restores the sanity... You know, when I first heard that, it was a very pejorative word. No, I'm not insane. And no, I'm not insane. I have a great brain in 99.999% of the places. It's this one little, well, two little slippers of alcohol and food where my disease has me. And the way I describe it, you know, I'm in co- computer programming now. And uh, we have a, a saying in computer programming, GIGO, G-I-G-O. It means garbage in, garbage out. And what that is, is that my disease, this insanity is, is it, it intercepts perfectly. You see, the thing about a good brain is, the reason you have a good brain is you make a thousand decisions every day. You're making decisions constantly. My disease grabs the information about the food and corrupts the data. And you can't make good decisions with corrupted data, and that's what it did. And I needed to realize that and to realize I needed a power greater than myself. And in the beginning, it was this group, you know. And 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 to help. I always say, if you get a newcomer who's new, I say, here's the quick and dirty first three steps. Step one, you had your whole life to have this work; it ain't worked yet. <laughs> Step two, look around this room. There's a lot of people doing what you can't, keeping the food down. Step three, go ask one of them to be your sponsor, and then take direction. You put the car in the ditch. Why don't you let somebody else help you drive it out? You know, and and that made all the difference. You know, uh, of, of starting to think that way. Now, I have a whole different view of the first three steps having been in a long time. Because I, you know, I did a By the way, I'm a member of a a phone group that I'm really, I really love and like to tell people about called A Vision For You. And it is, uh, you can find it, avisionforyou.info is the website that'll tell you uh, how to get it. And by the way, the four is the numeral for A Vision For You. And they also, they do these uh, Sunday special editions where they talk some things. And I did one called uh, Working the 15 Steps. And what that was about is that I think the first three steps are handled differently if you're brand new. The first three steps are, let's get the food down. Let's figure out how to do this and get going. And the first three steps you have been around a while for me are, I'm powerless over people, places, and things. <laughs> you know, I'm still nuts and I need to ground out with another human being and, and I need to turn my, my life over or at least, you know, I always I had trouble with turn it over. It was just one of these weird phrases. Uh, I like to think of it almost in, in the in, in the reverse of, of I I'm, I'm removing the blockage of self-will. You know, I'm getting myself out of the way of life as much as I can, and, and and it and it really helped me to do it that way, and um, and then I you know again I did a fourth step and and it was great uh, another fourth step another fifth step dealing with my my character defects I think my character defects are the way I'll my disease will get back in you know. I heard somebody, uh, this Leia, uh from uh, from Vision for You, say our disease gets back in through our wounds, you know. And I heard somebody else talk about that um, that our defects are our mental scar tissue from a life of things happening. And and it was definitely true for me, you know. I I grew up in a crazy household. These, you know, I don't even like the phrase character defects because it's it, it has a certain loaded bit to it, you know, defect, defective. I like like. You know, um, defense mechanisms. I grew up in a crazy household, and these were defense mechanisms. I was a sane person in an insane environment, and I had to develop defense mechanisms. And they were great at the time, but now they work against me. So, you know, another phrase I've heard used is character liabilities, you know, and they are, you know. And if I scrape down on almost all of these character liabilities, and they are, it comes down to fear, fear of one kind or another. You know, when I was new, you know, I, we guys, we'll take, the, we'll take the macho one, which is anger. Right. <laughs> you know, because that's a macho one, but fear. But, you know, anger is really a secondary emotion. Anyway, if you scrape it down and underneath it is fear, it's hurt and it's things like that. And for me to realize that almost everything comes down to some version of fear, you know, and, and when I really look at what takes up the majority of my bad behaviors, it's fear of not being enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not as good as you i don 't I don't want to be seen as less than you, so I will do all these crazy things to make myself feel better you know the illusion and and I needed to work on those and and I believe you know today I can only do so much you know and and, and it will come. The other thing was finding finding some kind of a higher power i 'm sort of backing up here, but you know I, I found in the beginning and I tell newcomers it, you know. No matter what you believe about God or a higher power, you probably think it's been around since before 1935, right? Well, people were dying of alcoholism without any hope until 1935 and a compulsive eating until 1960. And you know what? Some of those people that were dying were priests, ministers, rabbis, cantors, nuns. If it was simply a matter of a conscious contact with a higher power alone, they wouldn't have needed to come. And I, I know people of all those, those uh, persuasions in the program they, you know, I believe that the 12 steps are God's gift to the 20th century. And I believe it's the rowboat that was dropped down here. And those priests, nuns, ministers, they all have to get in the same rowboat we do, which is to work the program and to work the steps. And it's no different from anybody else. And and you know, I've come to some belief in a higher power now. But it, it you know, in the beginning, it was just be have power, in the, have faith in the process. Because the thing about this process is, you need faith to do these steps, because you're told to do things you don't understand. What the hell does all this have to do with me? I want to lose some weight, <laughs> you know. And people tell me this is the... You just trust us. You know, I came from another program where I'm, I used to hear from my old sponsor, bitch and moan, but do it anyway. And because that's what I got given, I did. And I couldn't understand a lot of the things I was told to do until later. And I could look backwards and that's why you do need faith in this program. And, um... Uh, you know, and, and I've always said some of the stupidest things that were ever said to me were said to me by a sponsor, you know. And when I say that, I mean, I hang up phone. that's the stupidest damn thing I've ever heard. But I was told to do it anyway, or train. So I would do it and then look backwards and go, that's exactly what I needed to do, you know. And and so, you know, um, I worked forward and I went and made all my amends and, and uh, tried to do the best I could, and, you know, with just about every one of them I was able to make. And, and, you know, living in 10, 11, and 12. I always joke that, you know, I think the one I've gotten the best earliest on was the 10th stuff of making prompt amends. I just wish I didn't have to make them so much. Right. I don't know <laughs> about you guys. You know, they have that great phrase uh, phrase in the AA 12 and 12, restraint of 10 and tongue. Well, uh, I've amended it to say restraint of 10 and tongue and send button. <laughs> that has gotten me into more trouble than anything else. And... Um, and then, you know, eleven, lemon, you know, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. I think that the most important word in the step is the word only, you know, praying only. Because before, God was Santa Claus to me, you know. If I believed in God at all, it was, okay, help me get out of this scrape. help me with this, here's my list, if you give me this, then I'll believe in you, you know. The other thing is, I had a real arrogance about, about, my belief in a higher power. I wanted the answers. I Explain to me why there's a Holocaust. Explain to me this. Explain to me that. And there was a real ego and arrogance in that. And today I don't have to. It, it, I don't have to understand it. I don't have the big picture. I just know that this program works. I, I'm just so lucky to be living in L.A. where we see this every day. We see people 20, 30, 40 years. Because I, I go around the country a lot and they don't have what we have here. And I'm very grateful for it. grateful for you and thanks for letting me share.